And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from an internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when you when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind, challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Welcome to another episode of the Holistic Human Optimization Podcast. I'm your host, Ronnie Landis. We have a truly amazing interview lined up for you today. And before we dive headfirst into it, I wanted to share a quick offer from one of our sponsors. If you're looking for the highest quality superfoods, natural supplements, and lifestyle upgrade products, I want to recommend you take a look at Purium Health Products. They produce some of the world's best superfood products by maintaining total control of the sourcing process through producing a majority of their products on their own farms and using their patented live dehydration process, which helps to maintain total nutritional integrity. Some of my favorite products I use daily are the Super Amino 23 Protein Replacement Amino Acid Product, the Love Super Meal, which is a live, organic, vegan meal replacement formula. The Apothecary product, which is an organic, GMO-free cherry concentrate that helps increase natural melatonin levels and aids in REM sleep. And also, their revolutionary first-ever anti-GMO product, the Biomedic which has been shown in preclinical studies to safely remove up to 74% of the GMO insecticide glyphosate from the human body in around six weeks of using the product on a daily basis. And that is just the tip of the iceberg with what this company offers. I encourage you to visit their website, www.ishoppurium.com, and use my coupon code HUMANPOTENTIAL all spelled in one word, to receive a $50 coupon on your first order and up to 25% on reoccurring orders after that. Again, the website is www.com. 
iShopPurium.com and use the coupon code HUMANPOTENTIAL. Okay, diving into episode 131 with Perry Marshall. And the topic of this interview is the evolution of the human species 2.0. And you may know of Perry Marshall's work because he was famous for really introducing the concept of the 80-20 rule. And actually his original book is about the 80-20 rule or the 80-20 principle. And more recently, he has released an incredible book called Evolution 2.0. And this interview really dove deep into uh, demystifying our conventional understanding of evolution, how we got to where we are as humanoids, as human beings, and where we started out from, and breaking down the Darwinian long-held theory of the survival of the fittest and competitive environments being the cause for evolution, breaking that whole theory down and realizing that it's actually not combative or competitive nature that creates evolutionary shifts. It's quantum leaps based on cooperation and intelligence and adaptability. And Perry really just bring, we just really, him and me, we just get into a whole host of topics within this. And by the end of it, we both agreed that we needed to do another interview, which him and me are set to do. Uh, in the next month or so on uh, a next start of this topic, which is going to be AI and artificial intelligence and how that really plays out into this. But that'll be interview two. As for now, we are going to be talking about Evolution 2.0. And I think you're going to really, really enjoy this interview. So get ready, buckle your seatbelts, and um, you know, get in a nice place to relax and take in this incredible conversation with Perry Marshall. I'm joined here today by Perry Marshall, who is a best-selling author, speaker, and world-renowned business consultant, and he has done some incredible work in so many different fields. He's actually consulted in over 300 different industries and is the author of two incredible books, both of which we are going to touch upon, and the the more recent one, Evolution 2.0, we are going to go down the rabbit hole today and one that I'm so excited to go down. So, uh, you know, it's just an honor to have you on, Perry. Hey, it's great to be here. And I'm, I'm glad you're willing to marry these, you know, kind of two topics together because most people think they're separate topics, but I always look at the world as one place that operates on one set of principles. And so I don't, I don't really see the divisions between um, different subject materials. So um, I think we'll have a lot of fun. We'll mix it together and we'll do a totally unique stir fry in the history of the world. How's that? Oh, I love that. And you know, it really, what you just said is beautiful because that's how my brain works. I like to create an amalgamation of all relevant and connective topics that sometimes can appear to be compartmentalized. I like to find the commonality and, and marry principles and concepts together. I don't know if you ever read the, the great book by Michael Talbot, The Holographic Universe, but that, that concept really influenced a lot of my thinking and um, I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see where this goes. Well, I'm glad to be here. We'll, we'll have a good time. Cool. So I'd love to start by talking about your original book, which was the 80-20 rule. And that book was the first thing that I came across when it came to your name a number of years ago. And 
just that principle I know applies to everything in our life. This podcast is most focused on health, lifestyle, nutrition, human potential. We dabble into um, conversations around entrepreneurship and, and optimizing our life as a whole. So I'd love to talk about this 80-20 principle and how, you know, talk about the book and just your, I guess, just your perspective on it. Well, a long time ago, I heard about the 80-20 rule and it was explained to me in terms of sales that 80% of your sales come from 20% of your customers and the other 20% of your sales come from 80% of your customers. And I imagine most business people have heard that somewhere and I just thought that that was a interesting little adage or rule of thumb, and uh, and I I printed out a sales report and verified yes, in fact that is uh, how it works at at my job that I was at at the time. But I didn't really think much more of it. Now, where it really got my attention was several years later. I was reading Richard Koch's book, The Eighty Twenty Principle, and. The first thing that he wanted you to know is that this is a this is a major principle of life, as in principles being those simple um, formulas that apply broadly. And if you understand the principles, then they're like universal truths that you can guide your whole life by. Uh, and so it's like, oh, okay, so eighty twenty is one of those kind of things. Okay, I, I hadn't heard that before, but then what really got my attention was he made this just almost throwaway comment that this had a lot to do with chaos theory and fractals, which sounds like a pretty weird little thing uh, to be interested in, but I actually knew a lot about that. And So, for example, I knew about the butterfly effect, which said uh, the, the first guy to try to model weather on a computer, he figured out that if he, if he changed the initial assumptions just ever so slightly, like, you know, one number was off by 0. .0001, it would completely change the weather forecast six months later. Um, in, in fact, he showed that Weather is wildly unpredictable when you get beyond several weeks because it's so sensitive to the tiniest initial condition. And he called that the butterfly effect. It meant that six months from now, one butterfly flapping its wings could create a whole hurricane. The only thing was you didn't know which butterfly it was going to be. And and that was chaos theory. And, that, and chaos theory says that there's patterns inside of patterns inside of patterns. And so, like, um, a little trickle of water running through your yard when it's raining or a big, you know, the Mississippi River, um, they actually look almost identical, okay? And, and, and I suddenly realized, hey, wait a minute. If what Richard is saying is true, that means there's an 80-20 inside every 80-20. It means there's another one and another one and another one. Hey, wait a minute. This is huge. And so I ran home. Um, I was in this coffee shop, um, you know, pleasantly reading my book. And all of a sudden, my brain said, I'm fired. I'm like, hey, wait, I got to go see if this is true. And so I ran home and I got out all these papers. At the time, my business was maybe 
a year and a half old, um, you know, and I, I had a few customers and I had a few clients and I had some web traffic and I, I get out my calculator and these pieces of paper and sales reports and stuff. I'm like, oh my goodness, this 80-20 is everywhere. And not only can you use it to look in the rear view mirror and see what already happened, you can actually use it to predict what's going to happen in the future. You don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but basically you know what it's going to look like, you know what it's going to smell like, you know you're going to get have a certain number of customers that come and spend this much money on this kind of thing, you're going to have a certain number of customers that spend this other kind of money and this other kind of thing, and actually you can be 80% sure which ones they're going to be if they're existing customers. It was all unbelievably, um, it was almost like prophetic. And I, I, like my brain just set on fire. And, and so I started using this and this ended up being the backbone of writing the world's best selling book on Google advertising. And then later Facebook advertising, it became the basis of all the stuff that I taught in sales and marketing to my customers, which eventually led to the book 8020 sales and marketing. So all the ideas in that book were road tested on real customers for 10 years before I actually wrote the book. And so the 80-20 principle is one of the most important, valuable, and powerful concepts that there is in your entire life. In fact, just two days ago, I was at King's College in London, and I was speaking to a bunch of university students, and how many of you know the 80-20 rule, and only like 10% of them actually did. And I told them, I said, well, what I'm going to explain to you today is almost certainly as valuable as anything else that you learned this entire semester and maybe your entire college career. And I went on to describe it. Now, of course, people are going to be a little skeptical when you say something like that. But, it, but by the end, people are looking at me like, oh, my word. This is amazing. And even, you know, some of the professors are like, wow, this is this is pretty good. Um, and, you know, the, the guy that invited me is like, that was amazing. Wow, I'm man, I, I was having epiphany about how to rearrange my life. Man, that was great. So um, it's it's a really cool thing. And, and if you understand it, it really will totally change your life. Absolutely. I, you know, it's so funny. As you're mentioning this, I, I just hopped on Audible real quick to download the book on my on my audiobook um, app because I'm just like, as soon as you said this is the, one of the most important principles for your life, I was just like, bing, bing, bing. Yep, I need to, I need to integrate this because I have not integrated this into my life and especially my business. And it's no wonder why um, at sometimes me and a lot of people I know, it's no secret that entrepreneurship or just life in general can get hectic. We can lose track of things. We can forget about first things first and just um, kind of try to wear all the hats. And I really, so I really love this, this principle. Well, I, I'd like to speak just a, another minute about the idea of a principle. So Please. a principle is something that's always true. Like it's going to be just as true 250 years from now as it is today, and it was just as true 250 years ago as it is today, whereas like a technique, it could change like it might 
like it might work this week, but it might not work next week. Or, you know, Google might change the button on the menu somewhere or, you know, or, or the mood might change or the culture might change or the headline that worked last week might not work this week. That's not a principle. That's a technique. And, you know, most people, they obsess about techniques. And in fact, they'll even pay a lot of money for techniques. Like there's a ton of people. If I had a technique that would get them on the first page of Google, they would like, they'd pay me a thousand dollars just to be in my webinar where I explain it. Even if there's a 75% chance that that same thing would get them banned from Google three months from now. <laughs> right. Okay. Like pe- people are very short term minded. It's like, actually, if, if you just know a handful of really solid principles you don't have to clutter your head with 9,000 pieces of miscellaneous information that will go out of date uh, six months from now. And it's, it's just a completely different way of approaching knowledge and the way that you run your life. Wow. That, thank you so much for making that distinction. That's so invaluable. And I think it's so spot on. I can definitely attest to that in my life. And this kind of uh, like mental overwhelm or this mental fatigue that's running rampant. And if we just, if we just kind of like focus on everlasting principles opposed to, you know, a great example is like social media or, you know, I know this is part of the world that you work in as far as like marketing and digital marketing, you see the algorithms change or you see dynamics in family change or you see dynamics in my world, which is like diet and nutrition. Largely you see, something that worked for six months, we call that like a healing diet. But then if you try Mm. to, you get into a good state of health and you've alleviated yourself of inflammation or whatever's going on, then you need to go in an anabolic phase, a building phase, and you Mm. need to change your approach. But if you try to take on certain techniques and you try to carry that over as if they were the, the total principle, then that's where I've seen people really have health challenges. Uh, right, right. And so this is true in any department of your life. And I, th- I think life for a really wise and enterprising person is a pursuit of, okay, what are the real fundamental principles and which other things are just the kind of the temporary pieces of knowledge that just get you from A to B. And you become more and more interested in the stuff that's going to last a long time. You just become disinterested and almost not even attentive to the stuff that's not. And in the short, it's a tortoise in the hair, right? And in the short term, the hair is going to use the principles or the, the techniques and they're going to get ahead in the short term. But the tortoise wins the race in the end because he doesn't actually have to move as fast because he's always moving in the right direction. Oh, wow. That's, that's, a, that's a sigh of relief in of itself. <laughs> it is. It's a lot less. It's a lot less stressful to live your life that way. It, it gives you a lot more calm and composure, which gives you more control of situations because you're not freaking out all the time. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Well, um, yeah, that was so fantastic. I'm really glad we started this conversation this way. And and your new your well, I know it's not your new book, but your most recent book. Evolution 2.0. There is so much depth to this, so I'm really excited to just like kind of jump into it because you're you've brought up a few topics. I don't, I haven't read the book. I, I'm I just downloaded it to my Audible, but I know that there's a few topics 
that you're really focused on right now. I want to talk about the book. I want you to open up about the premise and what this is about. And then depending on how the flow of this particular segment goes, I'll bring in these other questions that I have for you. Well, so, so all of us have heard, you know, some version of the creationist Darwinist argument go on. And, um, and I, I think most people, they kind of listen to a little bit of that and they go, man, that's like a sticky wicket, man. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm up for like trying to dive into that swamp. Um, and, and so you, you, you just kind of, kind of stay at the edge, but I got pulled into it. And the reason that I got pulled into it, so, um, I'm a pastor's kid. And my brother, obviously, also is a pastor's kid. And we grew up in this super conservative um, community in Nebraska. And, you know, and we learned that, you know, the earth is 6,000 years old and, um, and, you know, kind of this really traditional Christian fundamentalist upbringing. And um, so what happened was, my younger brother, um, he kind of, so, so I, I kind of started painting with a little bit of a broader brush, um, not being as quite tightly wound as all of that, but, you know, still, you know, basically, uh, um, a Christian guy, my brother, I mean, he stayed like right on the narrow path. He, he went to seminary. He got a seminary degree. He was trained to be a pastor. He learned Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. I mean, this is like a really rigorous education, okay? Um, like not the shallow end of the pool at all. Um, and then he moved to China where he was teaching English and doing part-time missionary work. Well, four years later, he was almost an atheist. And he and I were very close. And so these emails were going back and forth, and we're discussing and debating all this kind of stuff. And, man, you, you have not had a theological conversation until you've had it with a guy who's spent, like, four years studying the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, Greek, Hebrew, etc., etc. And he's, like, taking this whole thing apart, and, uh, and he's kind of dragging me with him. Um, and, um, and he was throwing it all out the window. He's like, well, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense. And, um, and so really pushing, pushing my buttons and, and raising these questions. And, um, and so I found, well, I can't go where he goes unless somebody answers some scientific questions, because I'm an electrical engineer, and I always just had this very primal sense. Like I would look at the hand at my, the end of my arm. I've designed all kinds of things. I I had a business uh, building and selling stereo equipment when I was in high school. Um, I'd done all kinds of things. I wrote an Ethernet book, and I'm like, man, the hand at the end of your arm, dude, it's a fine, fine piece of engineering. Like, I don't know any engineer that can make something that good. So that looks pretty designed to me. And so we're, we're having this argument in the back of a bus in western China. 
and we're arguing about this stuff again. And I said to him, come on, look at the hand of your arm. You, into your arm. You don't think this is an accumulation of random accidents, do you? And he goes, hold on, buddy. And he just comes right back at me with a standard Darwinism kind of an answer. Hey, you don't need a designer. All you need is millions of years, millions of birds and everything else, and DNA copying errors. And every now and then, the copying error is actually an improvement, and natural selection kicks in, and everything just gets better and better. And survival of the fittest, it's like all you need. No designer. And I listen to that, and I'm like, you know, I don't think you actually really explained very much when you said that, but I'm just going to stop myself because I can, you know how you can kind of fast forward through a conversation about 20 chess moves ahead of where you're at? Mm-hmm. And you're like, mm-hmm. I might get checkmated here mm-hmm. if I don't make sure I know what I'm talking about. So I stopped arguing with him and I thought, well, I don't think he's right, but what if he is? I'm going to find out. And what I went to was principles. I thought to myself, I said, okay, I took five and a half years of engineering school and nowhere, anywhere in my engineering degree was there ever a Darwinian natural selection, make a million mutant copies and some of them are going to be better. Like this was never how you optimize the system in engineering. But maybe that works in biology. Maybe there's a principle I don't know about. Maybe the biologist knows something the engineers don't. So what is the principle and how does this work? Like, do they know something we don't know? Do we know something they don't know or what? And again, I was looking for the principle. What is this thing? And so I went down the rabbit hole and I decided, you know what? I'm following this wherever it leads me. If this makes me an atheist, then I guess I'll become an atheist. You know, if this makes me believe in God more, then I guess I'll believe in God more. But I'm not just going to accept somebody's word for it. I'm going to actually get to the bottom of it. So here we go. And that was terrifying. Because it did, I'm getting the sense that it, the possibility of having to restructure your belief system was was there but you were you were also you were also unwilling to accept somebody else's word but also you had this like hunger to find out what is the truth and if this truth if me stumbling upon a a true a new truth changes my world view so be it right right and so i mean i think everybody knows that there's an awful lot of atheists that are darwinists and everybody knows there's a lot awful lot of fundamentalist creationists, you know, that are Christians. And, and so we, we all kind of know that. And so like, well, you know, if I go over to the completely the opposite end of the spectrum and I start sifting and sorting all the stuff that those guys believe, like, where am I going to end up? And if I do this, honestly, and I, I even remember, you know, I came to some early conclusions of what I thought was true. And I thought, well, you know, do I have to really understand the other side completely? Or is it just good enough if I just know my position really, really well? Like, is that good enough? And I eventually concluded, no, it's not good enough just to know your own position. You have to know your opponent's position better than he does, where you could argue it better than he can. Because that's the only way you would ever figure out if he's actually right or wrong. 
And so I said, all right, here we go. And, uh, and, and, and so I, I, I felt like I jumped into a wormhole and I was just falling for a while. Um, but, but then, um, you know, I'm, I'm okay. So how does this work? And what, what are all these mutations and what does an evolutionary event actually look like and what makes it happen? And, um, uh, and I was really, I was, I was completely lost for a while. Like I'm buying tons of books, you know, like every day the UPS guy is knocking on the door and bringing another box with more books. And I'm, I'm, uh, surfing all these websites and listening to interviews and watching videos and trying to figure out, I was really lost. But then, um, one day I suddenly had this epiphany I was studying DNA. I was like, Hey, wait a minute. I've seen this before. I know what this is. This is digital code. And I wrote an Ethernet book in 2002, which is another little, you know, department of my life. But for six years of my life, I sold industrial networking equipment. It's kind of like, you know, if you had another network that wasn't Ethernet, it was like something else. And then you had another one and then you had another one. And then every day you had all these other customers. Almost every day you're talking to a guy that invented his own so he could make equipment, talk to each other. Like this was the world I lived in. So it's like I understood ones and zeros really well. I'm like, this is ones and zeros, and it obeys all the rules of ones and zeros, which if you know what books to go look in, like you can find out what they are. And guess what? Evolution is a software engineering problem, and I can figure this out. Oh, now, and, and again, I was, go, I was going to principles here. And so th this was a very satisfying moment because I said, like, no, you apply the same set of principles that you already used in one department of your life. Now you're just going to use them in a different one. You're going to find out if there's particular exceptions and whatnot, but, but you can do this. And now all of a sudden, it's not this big, ineffable mystery anymore. The world begins to make sense. So I'd love to um, excavate some of the the core things that came out for you that that you also detail in the book um, in more de in more depth. You know what what did you discover that put the the piece of the or the 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 puzzle together? Well, so I started out asking the question: Well, do the engineers know something the biologists don't know, or do the biologists know something the engineers don't know? And the answer ended up being, to my surprise, neither. Mm. The answer ended up being the cells know something that neither the engineers nor the biologists know. Mm. Okay, and, and like you can take that to the bank. You can write it in blood. It's really true. Yeah. So a raindrop of bacteria can do more engineering in 12 hours than a team of Google engineers can do in 12 months. Wow. And, and the reason that you have to take your antibiotics all the way and finish the bottle gone, even though your strep went away a week earlier is because if you don't kill those things totally dead, they are coming back with a vengeance because they will reprogram themselves. And the punchline was 
this doesn't happen by accident. And this does not happen by copying errors. It absolutely doesn't happen by copying errors. So like one of the biggest realizations was this. So, so, you know, you could, uh, so let's say, let's say that you're being a smart, um, like an obedient citizen and you're not texting while driving and you're not watching YouTube videos while driving, but your wife is driving and you're riding shotgun and you're watching YouTube videos while you go down the expressway. Well, you know, most people can't really appreciate what a miracle, what a miracle that is. Like, well, first of all, there's like millions of bits every second coming into your computer, you know, or your iPad or whatever uh, from some cell phone tower. That's amazing enough. But, you know, there's an awful lot of like electrical noise in the engine and all kinds of things interfering with it. But it still happens. And it's because there's all these error correction systems built into it. And so if, if, it, if the packet doesn't come right the first time, your cell phone will say, send me that packet again. Yeah, that one, you know, and then the cell phone tower sends it again. And there's all these things to make sure that every single one and zero comes intact. Um, and if you break any of them, like the thing just completely screws up. So, like, I mean, we're talking like less than one in a million copying errors just so you can watch uh, a YouTube video while you ride in your car. It's just amazing. Well, uh, cells are the same way, and they have the same kind, in fact, remarkably similar kinds of error detection and error correction. What I figured out really quickly is none of those evolutionary events are accidental. Now, and this, this, is, this is where most of the biologists have got this wrong, like in the popular textbooks. So, and you really have to make a distinction between evolution that is fed to the general public versus evolution is actually practiced by real scientists in real labs who have real paychecks to earn. It's like two completely different things. Um, so if you go to Borders or Barnes and Noble, I guess Borders closed five years ago, um, or Amazon or or whatever, go to your favorite bookstore and you buy a Richard Dawkins book or a Jerry Coyne book about evolution, what they tell you about how evolution works is about two thirds wrong. Yeah. Um, they're not telling you how it works. Um, the way evolution really works is the cells re-engineer themselves in minutes based on hundreds of inputs from the environments uh, because they every cell is equipped with tons of receptors, you know, the temperature, the humidity, the salinity, the, you know, whatever's going on in the environment, whatever it needs to know. And they're, they're changing their DNA in real time in response to whatever needs to happen. And this is why organisms evolve. So it's, it's the most exquisite kind of engineering that you have ever seen in your life. And no human knows how to make systems that do this. Okay, so, so like, think of it like this. Uh, do, do you remember back in the day, did you ever use DOS? Oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so I want you to imagine, you know, DOS, 1981. I want you to imagine that Bill Gates put that product out there, and starting in 1981, nobody from Microsoft ever touched that program ever again. Okay? And I want you to imagine that DOS developed a Windows desktop 
by adaptation, and it developed an internet connection by adaptation. It developed a web browser, and it developed Microsoft Word, and it developed Microsoft Excel, and it developed antivirus, and it automatically updated its virus updates. Now, if DOS did that all by itself, and we got to Windows 10 now with no programmers, and it only did it because of the self-adaptation of DOS, would you be impressed? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. So that's life. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a germ. That's a bacteria. Mm -hmm. That's a protozoan. That's your body. That's your immune system. It's like DOS that can evolve into Windows by itself. That's what living things do. So this whole evolution thing has been completely misrepresented. The creationists are telling you it's a hoax and that it was all done in, you know, these series of miraculous events. Uh, the most of the Darwinists tell you that it just happens by random accidents, billiard balls banging around in the universe and, and uh, survival of the fittest cleans up the mess and makes things better and better. Well, neither of those stories are actually true. And as I got into this, I was like, oh, my word. How come nobody's told me how this actually works? Like, nobody's telling this. And by the way, what I'm telling you has been known since the 1940s. It's in the literature. Um, Barbara McClintock won the Nobel Prize in 1983 because 40 years previous, she had proved that a corn plant could cut, splice, edit, and rearrange its own DNA in minutes. Mm -hmm. and, and so your own body is so much more amazing than any book in the bookstore tells you about. It's not even funny. Um, and evolution is true. And so I, I, I came to realize that there's really a principle at work and, uh, one of my dear friends, Tom Hubyar, said, evolution is chaos resolved by intent. Mm. That all evolution follows a similar pattern. We could be talking about the evolution of jazz mm -hmm. or politics or cell phone cases or carburetors or anything. And really, everything evolves according to a common set of principles, which is that you come up with 10 different ideas that you really, really hope will work, and you engineer them to the very best of your ability, and then you put them out there, and the only thing that gets to determine what actually works is the marketplace. So, in other words, the context informs the content. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And so, and so everything is contextual, right? So, really, if – so, I've been teaching Google AdWords and Facebook advertising and entrepreneurship for 15 years. Well, in Google AdWords, what do you do? Well, you're a plumber. And you want to get the most clicks for the least amount of money 
when people type in plumber in Indianapolis. So what do you do? Well, you bid on the keyword plumber, and it's probably like, nowadays, probably five or ten bucks a click or something. And then you start testing ads, and you start saying all these different things. And like one ad gets you 0.6%, one ad gets you 4.7%, one ad gets you 8.3%, and you delete the losers and you keep the winners and you keep trying to beat your winner. That's evolution. Okay, it's natural selection, it's the marketplace voting on what you do because like you don't get to decide, they do, right? So the environment decides what's going to win, um, but you can never do it without intelligence. And so it turns out that every cell on the whole entire earth has some form of intelligence. And the word intelligence is a loaded word and it probably has all kinds of connotations that may not be appropriate here, but let's call it cognition. Mm. They take inputs, they take a very complex set of data and they rearrange their DNA and they change their biochemistry to respond and adapt to the environment. And furthermore, living things change the environment to suit what they need, right? And 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 so and so it's it's this constant ongoing process with feedback loops and feedback loops and feedback loops of of if experimentation and testing, experimentation and testing, and and so. This is this is how the world really works. So um, I was just I was just appalled that nobody was well. You know the creationists weren't talking about it. The intelligent design guys weren't talking about it. The Darwinists weren't talking about it. And for crying out loud, it was it was the biggest untold story in all of science. Why isn't anybody talking about this? And and so, and not only that, it's like the most contentious and bloodthirsty topic. I mean, it, it's it's no different than like abortion, gay rights, gun control, and immigration. You know, add evolution to the list. I mean, they're all like, you know, it's like, well, you know, don't bring that up if you, you know, want to have a happy party, right? Right. <laughs> and so, but I said, you know, I, I I've got to go into this extremely contentious environment. And I've got to tell people the truth about what's going on here because you can you can verify that it's the truth. Like you could you could take all the different chapters of Evolution 2.0. I've got what 350 scholarly references in the back of the book. You can go look them all up. You can look it up in Google Scholar. You can verify it's all true. But why is anybody talking about it? Yeah, and this, this, I can see how this would bring up a whole can of worms. And <laughs> I mean, I'm already thinking of all the things I want to dive into with you. And, and um, we have a, a bit of a, a time restriction. So I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to have you on the show again to go in more detail, especially as it pertains to the subject of AI, because that's a huge topic, one in which that I'm very interested in. And it might be beyond the scope of the time we have left, but I do feel like asking a question um, because of everything you brought up. You know, what would a human-directed evolution look like at this point? Well, so this is this is where like this this is where evolution 2.0 is not just a you know a science religion science geek kind of book. It's actually relevant to everything that's going on today because I, I don't know if most people listening realize 
within the last two years, we've gotten to the point where we can edit DNA almost as easy as copy, paste, cut, you know, cut and paste in Microsoft Word. Mm-hmm. It's almost that easy. We can replace genes. Um, and it's in the news all the time. Okay, well, all right. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that's kind of scary, right? We could, you know, designer babies and, you know, all this other stuff that's all on the table. But here's the problem. The average biologists think that evolution happened accidentally. And the average biologists think that the cells are dumb and that we're smart. That's backwards. The cells are smart, and we're dumb. Now, I'm not saying that we're not smart enough to do some good things. And I'm not against using the technology. And frankly, if you're at all realistic, you understand the toothpaste is already out of the tube, and people are going to do this, whether you think they should or not, whether they're allowed to or not, whether it's legal or not. This stuff is going to go on. But can we please, 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 please approach this with some humility? And can we understand that these cells are actually smarter than we are and they do their jobs better than we know how to do their jobs? And we need to humble ourselves and study nature very carefully because you can't unring a bell. Mm. And you can't unkill 200,000 people. So, yes, we have a moral responsibility to reduce birth defects. And, you know, like cystic fibrosis is a horrible disease that's caused by a one-letter copying error in a billion letters of DNA. It's literally a one-in-billion copying error. One letter. It's like one letter in a stack of encyclopedias. And you, and you get cystic fibrosis. Okay. So we should probably fix that. But you can get exponentially more complicated as you try to do other things, and we can't run ahead of our knowledge. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting about this? As we go progressively into gene splicing and genetic manipulation, what always amazes me is how far people will bypass what's already being shown to be powerful and effective through simple lifestyle changes and things that don't necessarily cost a lot of money like deep breathing and meditation and green juicing and getting our <laughs> life together and and the amazing um, healing effects that these simple lifestyle changes make it's like amazing to me that people don't even people at these like that are extraordinarily high intellects or in these positions of power just kind of gloss over and go right into right. let's let's inject exogenous material into somebody's body and see and and see how that affects them uh, you know I, uh, a good friend of mine he, he's on my judging panel for the five million dollar evolution 2.0 prize his name is Dennis Noble and he is the guy who figured out the cardiac rhythm, which made pacemakers possible. And uh, he's one of the top 100 scientists in the UK. And um, he was on a panel talking about the Human Genome Project. Mm. And he said, he said, um, and I'm going to butcher this a little. You'll have to forgive me because I don't remember exactly how he put it. But it was something like this. 
It was something like, if I have your 23andMe report um, and, uh, and, I, and I read it, I will have a 25% accurate ability to predict whether you're going to have a heart attack. He goes, if I take your pulse and your breathing and your girth or weight or like, like three or four things that a doctor or anybody can like, you don't need a doctor. Like anybody can figure out with like a tape measure and a scale and a stopwatch. He says, I'll have a 75% accurate um, prediction of whether you're going to have a heart attack. (laughs) He goes, so not against the human genome project or anything, but it's delivered far short of what it promised. And of course he's got, two books out uh, that are both sort of like Evolution 2.0, actually. One's called The Music of Life, and the other one's called Biological Relativity, where he explains there's these whole layers of genetic networks beyond the genome that we've barely even scratched the surface on, which are how are the genes actually used. And so, like, reading the genome and and extrapolating to how the human body is going to turn out is kind of like reading sheet music in like and knowing how a pop song is going to turn out like it doesn't tell you anything about the reverb or the singer or what kind of guitar they used or what kind of the pedals they used or you know whether it's fast or slow or you know what i'm saying yes there's all these things that it doesn't tell you and so we're we're really young and early in this and you're right like I was a week ago, I was in Western Ireland breathing the most clear, alive air blowing in off the Atlantic Ocean. You know, it's like, man, you take one breath and you're like, this whole place is alive. Right. You know, (laughs) and some other guy's idea is to sterilize everything, you know, Mm -hmm. with a big air purifier. And he thinks that's going to be healthy, right? So this, you see how like all screwed up this can be. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just bringing up like, if somebody takes on the kind of fear programming and like the Richard Dawkins point of view that it's like 98% what is one of his quotes? He said, it's a shame that 98% of our genes are, are, are relatively, um, unfunctional or or I'm paraphrasing. They're junk. They're junk. They're non-coding proteins. They have no function. But then we look at this whole emerging field of epigenetics and we're like, Oh, wait a minute. It's not that (laughs) junk. They're just deactivated. So they must That's have right. some function, and if we learn to activate it through getting in nature, proper diet, loving ourselves, you know, having good thoughts and that kind of thing, then maybe we can actually activate our genetic potential. Well, that's actually true, and the junk DNA theory has colossally failed. It's it's like nobody with any self respect talks about it anymore. It's actually, frankly an embarrassment. But it's based on an obsolete paradigm of evolution, which is precisely what I'm going after uh, with a cudgel in Evolution 2.0 because that whole theory has – it's trickled out into dozens of disciplines and schools of thought and ways that people look – it's completely screwed up. I mean it's more dysfunctional than like the worst alcoholic family that you ever met. It's, it's just, it's awful. And, you know, like we have to fix this. Like we can't run on this set of assumptions. It's, 
it's it's downright depressing like evolution like darwin is it's like such a depressing kind of downer it's like no evolution like the way evolution actually works it is so inspiring it is so amazing like i mean i i have a time limit here at the top of the hour too so we have to wrap but i think most of the problems that Silicon Valley is trying to solve, most of the problems that Wall Street are trying to solve, most of the problems that the healthcare system is trying to solve are already solved in the cell, and you just have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Hello, everybody. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. This is this is just so fantastic. Um, these time limits can be a little bit of a bother, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Um, I would I would love to connect with you again and have you back on the show. We'll 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 see we'll set that up in another time. But this was just we will set that up. Yeah, this was so much fun, Perry. This is just scratching the surface. But I'm I'm really just thankful you made the time to come on here and and join me for this. Where can everybody find your work, your website, get a copy of your your book or books? You can get three free chapters of Evolution 2.0 at CosmicFingerprints.com, and you can buy hardcover, paperback, Kindle, or Audible on Amazon. It's in all four formats. So um, this this book will totally change the way you see the hand at the end of your arm, and uh, it, it'll really it'll change the way you see the whole world. Mm, yeah, I have no doubt. I, I this interview is already doing that, and. I just downloaded the. Um, I just downloaded that book on my Audible as we were talking. So um, I'm looking forward to diving into it. And uh, thank you so much for joining me. Well, Ronnie, thank you very much. I'm honored to be on your show. I'd be happy to come back and pick this up. There's so many things that we could pick up where we left off and and talk some more. But this is a very urgent message because we live in perilous times. Times of huge opportunity, times of huge potential downside, and we we, we ne- gotta not step on the landmines here. And if we have a little more respect for the cell, and for life, and for what evolution actually is, I, I think you'll be very inspired. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ronnie. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating episode of the Holistic Health and Human Potential show. Before you head off, I want to invite you to go to my website for further podcast episodes and tons of free content on holistic health, natural nutrition, and human potential. Please go to www.ronnylandis.net to find out how to take your health and your life to the next level. And also, I want to encourage you to leave a five-star review for this podcast on our iTunes page, which will help me in my mission to get these inspiring messages to millions of people throughout the world. I thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to continuing to provide amazing conversations and content on holistic health and human potential.